Welcome to the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China coming to you from the pop-up Chinese studio here in Beijing. I'm Kaiser Boy, and let's meet our first contestant this week, Mr. Jeremy Goldcorn, the man behind Dynamite.com, <laughs> a native of Johannesburg, South Africa. His hobbies include picking fights, causing trouble, and hurting the feelings of the Chinese people. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. <laughs> Good evening, Kaiser. It's a pleasure to be here in Beijing with you. Let's also say hi to Ada Shen, who is sitting in for David Moser this week. Hi, Ada. How are you, how you doing? How are you, how so you guys doing? Ada, as podcast listeners, loyal ones anyway, will recall, joined us for that uh, Char- Char- Charlie Hebdo podcast back in January. Uh, many of you may remember Jeremy's infamous rant from that one and little else. Uh, we really enjoyed <laughs> having her, and so much that we uh, have thought we should convince her to come back in and host every now and again. Ada uh, does various work in media and in the nonprofit sector, so a do-gooder, and I should say very, 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 very old and dear friend of ours. I, now, Jeremy, you met her before I did, or did I get her first? I think I must have met her before you. you I met her the day she got off the plane, I yes, think. Yes, I think so. <laughs> okay, right off the plane? Yeah, we, yeah. we worked together at uh, the legendary Beijing scene. Just just so, you know, so. to be... You know, uh, yeah. Okay. That's that's right. I think I hit on you the first time I met you. Is that right? I have no recollection. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm you are a lady, Ada. Okay, he is also, not a gentleman, but are, <laughs> you are a lady. But there are a lot of people in this town, as it turns out, who think that we are related. As you know, oh, that's like, funny. Yeah, that's because really they, funny. apparently we have the same precise accent, like the same. Northern California ABC accent or Southern California. So, so uh, you're, you're from Southern California. Yes. I'm from Arizona, which is a cultural appendage of Southern California. We so think that's so, why yeah. I sound like. Right, right. <laughs> anyway, we're both sort of robust, uh, loud, loud. Right? Okay. Okay. Anyway, so Ada, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank, so thank so you. several times now on this program, this show's various hosts and guests have made really enthusiastic recommendations for uh, the blog Chublic Opinion at chublicopinion.com. Today, we are delighted to be joined by Mr. Ma Tianjie, the author of that blog, which if you are not already reading it, you really need to just go and read right now. Ma Tianjie is formerly with Greenpeace, recently went to China Dialogue, whose founder, of course, is Isabel Hilton, has been a guest on this program. Jeremy, how many times now? Like three times or two, two or three two, times? Two times? Yeah. Anyway, tell us a bit about yourself, Ma Tianjie. I mean, a lot of, we, you're a great mystery to many people out there, but I think, as it turns out, there's a ton of fans of your blog. I mean, I, I promote you kind of crazily. <laughs> First thing I think that people notice is how good your English writing is. Did you study in the States? Yes, I, I did spend two years in Washington, D.C., getting my master's degree in environmental policy. But I was an English major uh, in college at Peking University ah, here in okay. Beijing. But I, I consider myself largely a product of the Chinese education system, which I happen to be born and raised in Shanghai, which has pretty decent English education. Right, uh, right. I think that helps a lot. And then I was an English major. So I think that helps again. Um, so And I, I also modest. like to read in English. <laughs> and he's fabulously talented as a writer. Yes, it's just he natural. is. I mean, I think that it's what's, what's odd is that I think most people would assume that you're a native English speaker on reading your writing. I mean, it's quite idiomatic. In fact, it's it's often beyond the abilities of most Native American English. I mean, if you go to a, your average Tumblr, you're not going <laughs> to... Well, we don't do that. Well, com- compared to YouTube comments, he's really... No, no. Yes, exactly. Anyway, so what, what would you, how would you characterize the mission of your blog? What do you do? Well, at the beginning, it was very simple. I just want to practice my uh, written English because I think a part of me wants to write more elegantly in English. But at that time, I was working at Greenpeace as an international organization. I have to write a lot of emails, internal documents, proposals, and things like that. And and it feels a bit 
boring mm -hmm. uh, to me. And also, it's very stressful work, uh, working in the environmental field in China. So I just write <laughs> to relax my brain and uh, engage a, a slightly different part of my brain and spend a whole, like a good 10 hours on a Sunday just to, to write a piece that I feel is coherent. Mm. And, and I, I really enjoy doing that. And that's all. And why did you choose? Uh, I mean, public opinion is Chinese public opinion, right? Yeah, public opinion with so characteristics. Why, why did you choose this particular field, this niche, this subject matter? Well, at that time, actually, I was quite inspired by a Chinese column uh, written by a guy called Xu Danei, who used to be an, uh, he's, he was an editor at Dongfang Zaobao, a Shanghai newspaper, and he, he wrote for the FT Chinese oh, okay. for six years a column called Meiti Jiaji, which mm. basically, I think, I, I, I basically stole the concept from him, right? He aggregates all the different sides of opinion from Chinese newspapers and opinion leaders on particular issues. And he, he writes in a very, like, dispassionate way, right? He, he didn't take sides, but mm. he just <clears throat> noted them down with kind of hidden thread in it. And, and reading him actually gives you quite a good grasp of what's going on, what's, what are these sort of... Uh, currents inside the Chinese. Well, you've just described very, food. very well what you do. That, yeah, but that, I, I got true. the whole idea initially. I think I got the whole idea from him. And, and I... Okay, that's the last bit of false modesty that we're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously, it's, it's great. Uh, but there was a lacuna. There was a hole, a big gaping hole in the English reading world. Exactly. Right. Did you realize that, hey, why isn't anyone... Because, I mean, Danway used to do this, but then Danway stopped doing it. Then we became of... capitalists. And, yeah. and who else was doing it? I mean, so you have... You had Roland Sung doing it, also ESWN. Right, right, right. You know. but, but not... Yeah, okay. I mean, he okay. was more yeah. maybe compiling stuff. Right, compiling but, I mean, stuff. There, but, there, but there not, haven't not been a lot of analysis. blogs that have, have, have dis, you know, dispassionately and without trying to take sides looked at what is going on in Chinese media and social media in this way. Identifying also really important discourse that's happening. I mean, the, the stuff it's, it's, it doesn't, it's not the, the what's, what's that China smack kind of, um, this is, you know, the salacious story of the day or whatever. You, you actually went for the stuff that, that matters. I think that doing this, you could do it in a very mechanical kind of way. So I, I can act like a, like a machine and I just grab, like using so, sort of an algorithm to grab whatever you can. But I think, in the process, I find that if I put in a little bit more agency and kind of my analytical lens into it, I could get some observation out of it. And I, I, I'm not really not ambitious to depict any kind of grand picture. But if you, I think if you keep it as a habit and just uh, note down whatever observation that you think you can logically get from some of the things that you actually see and you accumulate it and maybe in, 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 in the long run, you, you will find some really interesting stuff. Uh, one thing that I noticed, I think, from last year's blogging is this subculture thing, mm -hmm. which before that, I, I really never took a serious notice, right? It's only after I saw this guy, the Hojusen, this kid, got gotten beaten up by his political rivals, right, on, on the Baidu, Tieba, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it became a national sort of a spectacle. And I just realized, oh, there's this whole group of kids hidden in Tieba that they're worshipping the national state as if they're worshipping a K-pop star, right? So, they, yeah, in Tieba, we're, we're talking about um, Baidu post-bar. <laughs> post <laughs> post and, yeah. So can you, can you describe the sub subculture a little bit? Explain the D-bar you know, culture. Right? The, the D-bar culture. Who's, what is it? 
So a tier bar is essentially is a business sort of a business model for Baidu, if I understood correctly, right? So the, it's organized around keywords that people actually search right. on 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 Baidu, which is a search engine essentially. And then in order to facilitate the kind of discussion and community building on the internet, so you exactly. Can, so whoever searches the same keyword as you are Winds able to find you, exactly. right? And then so people start to self like organized into different tier bars. And I think it. I think it's a, a very perfect place for subcultures to to flourish because people with the same interests, people with the same hobbies, will will group together. It's like being um, able to create subreddits but, in Reddit, right? That, so it's, uh, that's yeah. it's probably closest analogy, right? Yeah, I think Reddit is probably the the closest thing you can find in, in the English world. But I think what's interesting about Di Bar, this particular Tier Bar, is that it transformed from a, a sort of a hobbyist group. To some kind of a much broader thing because it's sort of organized around a discursive strategy, right? Mm-hmm. It, originally, mm-hmm. it's just about a, a stupid soccer player, right? But then people find that the way people talk about the, the soccer player <laughs> is more interesting than the soccer player himself, right? right? It's getting meta, right? So, so more people are attracted to it because they like how people. The, the unique ways people talk about stuff, basically bad mouthing others using a, a kind of smart ass kind of ways, mm-hmm. and so it, it I think snowballed into something completely different. And in the end, it, it has nothing to do with the soccer player anymore, but physically it's still located in that. Post-bar. They become a community, uh, like a little tribe that yeah. has completely lost any kind of affiliation. It's sort of like, you know, in in ancient Rome and in, in, in Byzantium, they had these favorite chariot tiers, these char- chariot teams, the blue team or the green team and they became these political factions right exactly yeah um, i think you mentioned in your blog post on that that, that some of the terminology coming out of diba is now part of more mainstream yeah. internet terminology like that originate there in diba yes wow yeah. isn't that interesting yeah, yeah, that's fascinating because is every i mean everyone i i was in a conference with a, a vc friend of mine who said the only thing you need to do to to win China is figure out how to sell, you know, what do do the diaosu want? And, that, <laughs> can, and let me, can we explain diaosu for listeners who may not dick uh, shreds? So dick it's kind of loser, like you you don't have any money, you've got a shitty job, or no prospects, no, no future, prospects, no you don't have a girlfriend. Yeah. is that? It's a it's a very complicated evolution of a word. So first, diba because it it got very popular, it also got. Its own rivals, right? So people, there, there are a group of people who don't like the Diba people, and they have their own Diba, and they start to refer to these Diba fans as Di-si, uh-huh. right? So Si is the the fans, right? The mm-hmm. fans, fans. And, and yeah. so Di-si, but Di-si is, isn't doesn't make any sense. So they they add make it Diao. Diao means stick or penis, right? right? So as a, so, it's an insult actually. Of the the Diba people, mm-hmm. but the Diba people like took it as a pride, right? And and use it. Right. They reclaimed it. Yeah, reclaim it and 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 use it by themselves to refer to themselves as, as diaosu. It seems that they they embrace some kind that their lower social class uh, with a pride, and then they start to invent all the other all the references to the opposite social class, like the Gao Fu Shui, the Bai Fu Mei. And they, they 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 take this very. These are the tall, beautiful, tall, beautiful, rich, rich handsome, people. Yeah. yeah, and they 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 use very like self depreciating um, yeah. postures, like 
跪求 ，I I I beg you to something like the, 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 it. I beg you on bended knee, right? right. Yes, yes, yes. And、uh, it's a really a play on their own social class, and it's sort of deconstruct all the the hostilities. I I, I seriously, I think the, the anthropologists might need to to study the, they, the they real really cultural implications. But and in that particular post, though, you looked at what they did when they decided to do something politically. They took it a political action, and you know, there's of course the irony of the fact that. To do something that they believed was patriotic, they had to first climb over China's infamous Great Firewall to、yeah. do it. And <laughs> can you tell that story a little bit to people who haven't read that? I mean, what what happened with the attack on on Facebook websites, uh, face Facebook、uh, fan pages of, of pro independence politicians and celebrities in Taiwan? Sure, I think before this year's election, the general election in Taiwan, I think there has been a lot going on in mainland China. Right,、uh, there is this guy called Huang An, which is a, a third-rate、uh, singer who has this one song, which was popular in the '90s, and、uh, <laughs> he sort of waged a one-man campaign against so-called pro-independence Taiwanese、uh, right. pop stars in mainland,、uh, sort of tattling them to the the Chinese authorities, saying, "Oh,、mm. these are pro-independence; you should ban them in in Ch- mainland China performances, things like that." So the the, the mainland Chinese public at that. Point has been alerted of the so-called pro-independence、uh, people, and there's quite some debates and discussions about that. And then came uh, uh, Zhou Ziyu, Zhou Ziyu、yeah. uh, the 16-year-old、uh, uh, pop star from Taiwan, who is actually doing、uh, her her business is main, mainly based in South Korea, right? Right. But she is trying to to develop her career in mainland China, and became he became the target of of Huang An. So then again, there's a whole dispute over this Zhou Ziyu, and、uh, in the end, she was forced to apologize. Forced、right? by her agent or her managers. That, right, yeah, because there, there's Chinese online、uh, backlash against her. Yeah. yeah, backlash against her, and、uh, she has to apologize in front of the ca- camera. And, As so many people have had to recently. <laughs> and then what actually? Abject apology though, and she's six. It was very sad. It was very sad. It was very yeah. sad. Yeah. But what actually triggered the Di Ba attack was that the Taiwanese trolls, basically on Facebook, start to attack a Chinese mainland、uh, pop star, who, a TV star, right, who said some joking things about Zhou Ziyu's、uh, video,、mm. right. So this is, I think, part of the competitive. The Di Ba crowd or the subculture is quite competitive、uh, in its nature. That if they see that okay, my people is being bullied. Then I want to just fight back, and、uh, do you think the politics actually had very little to do with it, or do you think that it? I、won't? think it's the the I think the need to to establish one's、um, superiority in terms of power,、mm-hmm. like it's very much I think like school politics, right? right?、Mm-hmm. If, if one of my my gang got get, get bullied by the other side, I want to just hit back. And and there there was some、uh, a review of past campaigns by Di Ba, and usually it's something like that. I want to overwhelm your Di Ba just to punish you for whatever shit you said about、right. things that I don't like. It's a bit、yeah. like an anonymous attack. For Four Chan is the other group they remind、yeah. me of. Four Chan、yeah, yeah. is an, the other community that in in America.、Um, you know, there's a million or、well, all all of the stories that you've written about we, we could talk about for an hour each, but. One question I, I've been really dying to ask you is:、uh, so, how does how, how much harder, first of all, is it to glean a sense for what's happening online in China now with Weibo use having kind of plummeted, with Weixin being sort of more private in nature and、mm-hmm. confined? 
what are the online forums that you would go to to get a sense for what the spirit of the times really is? Um, I think it's still pretty intuitive. So I I do follow quite some people on Weibo. I mm-hmm. think Weibo, even though it's subdued somewhat, I think still relevant. Um, especially I think those who has the intention to shape public opinion still are pretty much active okay. uh, on on Weibo. Even though I think a, a large part of the liberal camp has been Decamped, subdued right. uh, on Weibo, and some of them did migrate onto WeChat. So I, th- I think my methodology is that I, I just look if there's something that there's a, a real conversation going on. There are different sides of voices on on a single issue, and I think it's hard for me to miss. Um, and I, I would wait a little bit to see what kind of comments and what kind of insights finally would emerge on my, like, whether it's Weibo or my uh, WeChat walls. Mm-hmm. Uh, I and I, I made some selection and based on that, yeah. Great. Just, just for a sense of perspective, um, Kaiser, would you like to drop in sort of the random internet factoid on the size of the audiences of these respective platforms, even if Weibo you know, is I, I, I haven't followed in a while. I don't actually okay. know. It's, Jeremy, it's, it's do really you know? Hard. I, mean, uh, I, I, I don't know the, the most current figures, but I mean, uh, you know, Weixin must be, you know, north of, um, I mean. Have you yeah. ever met a Chinese person with a smartphone who doesn't use Weixin? No, I mean, in fact, I mean, uh, WeChat Weixin is probably has higher numbers than like main internet usage uh, because Multiple everybody's accounts. got a smartphone yeah. and so, they might not actually use any other internet service. So, I mean, you're looking million. seven north yeah. of 700 million, million probably. Yeah. Uh, I think Within Weibo, uh, I mean, at its height, Weibo was about uh, 500 million or so. Yeah. And I mean, I would imagine the active usage is, is, is probably a fair bit lower than that right now. Okay. Right. Just a little context. But, but um, uh, I think you're, you're right, though. I mean, that there still are public intellectuals who to be found. I actually had lunch today with a, a reporter, uh, an American reporter, who said that after kind of a long hiatus from, from Weibo, he went back and was really quite surprised to see, uh, because, you know, everyone is, 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 is back. You're sort of looking for the reaction about uh, Ren Zhiqiang. Hmm. Um, but uh, he said... Who that, is that, the... So Ren Zhiqiang uh, is. You know, some people are saying the Donald Trump of China. So he's. Well, a that's, a that's a ridiculous, ridiculous comparison. He's a billionaire real no, estate developer. He's a billionaire. He's, he's a, a millionaire. Yeah. A multi-millionaire real estate developer right. who used to have thirty-seven million followers. Right. So he's kind of a, a buddy of Pan Shiyi, and and yeah. and he was a very you know he's a party member and and uh was, but was always a very prickly kind of a writer. Right. He was always kind of critical, uh, always sort of a thorn in the side. He was ga- something of a gadfly, and, and as we know, he made up basically a, a couple of comments to the effect of uh, after Xi Jinping's kind of recent media tour in which, you know, he basically insisted on uh, the, the steadfast obedience of, of, of media, of state media to the party. Uh, he said, wait, aren't, what's this about the, the government being the party's government? Isn't it the people's government? Isn't this the media, the people's media, not the party's media? And so that kind of uh, distinction between people and party is, is, of course, anathema because people are represented by the party in Shiist ideology or in, you know, in all communist ideology. So anyway, so uh, he, my friend was saying at lunch today that, you know, he thought that after the big beef crackdown that, you know, began in earnest in 2013 and kind of gutted Weibo by 2014, that, that you know, that Weibo would be a wasteland. He said no, mm-hmm. that most of the gungzhi, the, the public intellectuals that he followed, were still quite active. 
they were they were on there. He was very surprised. Still as critical as ever. Yeah, because I think there is still I think、uh, a need for gender setting, and as long as there is a need for gender setting from all kinds of camps within within the Chinese society, then I think Weibo is a much better platform than WeChat, which is essentially. A social network that based on friends, right? But but Weibo is a much much bigger platform, a, a much open platform with a sort of a square kind of、mm-hmm. public、effect. square,、right? yeah,、exactly. public square, yeah.、Uh, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you:、uh, Do you know if you have much of a Chinese readership? I I do have a small、uh, Chinese readership. I I if I look at the the WordPress data,、um, then I I can see a segment. Of uh, uh, readers from mainland China, even though it's much smaller compared to the readership from the United States.、And、what about comments from Chinese readers? The thing about blogging today is that a lot of the conversations are happening in social networks that I have no way of、uh, of knowing. For example, people、uh. would uh, repost uh, my my post on their Facebook page, and then they will ha- probably have conversations there. But I, then I. Well, I always do. Then I have no way of <laughs> of seeing what people are talking about, and yeah, that's a pity.、Uh, okay, well, hopefully this show is going to get you some more readers, and they'll be very, very well deserved. Yeah, thank you. I hope so. Can I ask you to answer a question you posed in your your own blog?、Uh, oh. You wrote a post in January, a moment of reflection, and, that was and such and, a good one. And you say, after a year of blogging about Chinese public opinion, I realize that the biggest challenge, besides the limitations of available information and the constantly evolving situation, is to assess its actual impact. Just how consequential is the collective airing of certain sentiments or viewpoints?、Mm. Do you want to take a stab at answering that question? <laughs> I'm going to duck out.、Uh, thanks, Jeremy, for making our guest feel. Well, I think the, the the question really, I think it's a pretty philosophical question about what is public opinion, right?、Mm. So everybody in China holds some kind of opinion, but a lot of those opinion doesn't matter if they doesn't surface in in, in some kind of form. With some kind of impact, right on whatever platform. So I think gauging that kind of impact become a kind of defining point for for whether there is actually valid public opinion in China. Because I think in the past there is always this thinking that、uh, does. There is no public opinion. I think, especially if you look at bef- the, the years before the emergence of social media, then you, all you have is probably something reflected by the media, right?、Uh, the the sort of the liberal, slightly liberalized media scene.、Um, but I think with the emergence of social media, you have a much more materialized kind of public com- opinion, which might have some actual impact, especially in the in the politics of of this country. But I I I I sort of like the the、uh, how to say the the observation from Song Zhibiao,、uh, an observer, a Chinese, a former commentator from、uh, Southern Metropolitan News. He said, "I think there there is a very strong discrepancy between how the state views public opinion and how the public views their opinions、oh. by themselves." Right. So if you look at the distance that the state wants to go to crush whatever threat. They see from public opinion,、uh, it's actually re- really ridiculous. The the recent case of 
Xinhua, Xinhua News Agency spending all the investigative uh, sort of capacity to debunk that uh, fake dinner in Jiangxi province, mm. right. right? Phoenix Man story. Um, they, they actually spent that much like uh, public uh, resources just to debunk that nonsense, right? And also... I, and that nonsense, let's just describe the nonsense. So that was, the, the, the story was that a young woman from Shanghai went yeah. to her boyfriend's house yeah. in Jiangxi, rural Jiangxi. And got scared off. Family's house. And, and ran out there to be horrified yeah. at seeing this, this the sort of really badly cooked food served in, in really unattractive metal. Kind of, you know, metal bowls and stuff. And then it was, it was a fake story, as you, as you note. Yeah. yeah and, but it, it took the, the China's, the, the most prestigious um, news agency to basically uh, wrote a story and, and, and debunk that myth, telling everybody this is a fake story. Uh, it seems that they they take the direction of the the conversation really seriously. They're hypersensitive uh, to public opinion that doesn't go away. That they, 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 yeah, right. yeah. So, but if you you ask someone in the public, um, they would think that this discussion is like doesn't matter. Okay, so somebody just uh, uh, got scared off by a bad dinner, right? And I had some opinion, random opinion to air. What 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 difference could that make? But on the other uh, on the other side, they take it like dead serious and 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 would take no chance of letting it free flow into something they they couldn't control. Yeah. I'm I'm imagining President Obama holding a meeting, you know, about uh, this series of YouTube comments. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's right; it's impossible. So, so no I mean, your job. answer really then is that we don't know, or you are not sure how consequential the collective airing of certain sentiments or viewpoints is. But, but the party thinks that it's very, very serious and consequential. Yeah, and shall we then, if the party thinks so, shall we then take it as face value, which means it actually touches the nerve of the party, right? So shall, because of that, shall we take public opinion in China more seriously? So there's like um, a discursive that's reality. My, that would be my conclusion. Or yeah. you know, rather than just, just sort of d- discounting it because it's really... Uh, the, these ca- sort of casually, flippantly thrown out things. I mean, you know, there's not a lot of thought being invested into, you know, my expression of this on online. There's no cost. I don't have skin in this game, right? Mm. I, I, I can see it either way. I, I there was um, a lovely turn of phrase that you used, and you use many, but there was one that really um, struck me as being kind of thematically resonant with your overall blog. And that is you were talking about how, um, you know, opinions comes to sort of settle around equilibrium as opposed to consensus. Um, and in this respect, you were talking more about, um, I think, the government's reaction around the Chaijing environmental uh, video. Under the dome. Under right? the dome, yeah. which if you'd like to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, because this is your wheelhouse. You're, you are, you work in an, in, in an environment. Presumably, you've looked a lot at about, uh, about civil society as it's been kind of congealing around this issue of... of so please, yeah. Yeah, I think the the interesting thing about this field in China is that unlike in the Western society, particularly I think in the United States, where the environmental issues now is also part of the cultural war, right? So the right, the conservative side, would deny every everything, or they they would basically attack the, the entire environmental agenda as a liberal kind of issue. But I think this kind of cultural war really doesn't exist in China. Uh, at this moment, there's my reading at 
the, the time when I watch Chai Jing's Under the Dome is that there is a there's there is a consensus, universal acclaim, right? Yeah, a universal claim that that uh, claim uh, of that documentary, and there there seems to be a consensus that the environmental issue is something that we commonly need to address. But I think the backlash uh, later on were sort of unexpected to some extent because I think there was some confusion even by people who have been closely watching this field. Initially, there was strong endorsements. There seems to be strong endorsement from the official MEP, side. Yeah. MEP, the, the new minister, and also Reming Wang, the People's Daily's website, all carried this documentary. But then the backlash, uh, the, 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 the final censoring of it, and I think recently, even recently, I think the, the conservative left was still like attacking it as some kind of plot to undermine Chinese development mm. uh, really makes me rethink uh, whether the consensus was as strong as I, I, as I thought it, it was. That's why I think the, the current status about air pollution, for example, how the, the, the central government is dealing with, with uh, air pollution is really the result of uh, equilibrium. So there's the, the public is pushing uh, people like Chai Jing, people like other, including Ren Zhiqiang, they, they were pushing to extend that the government couldn't ignore pollution anymore, uh, and they, they have to supply a certain level of environmental actions, right? right? But on the other hand, I think the public also has lost a large part of its leverage to push further to more, more radical, uh, drastic kind of environmental actions, and they have to accept the, the current schedule, which is basically cleaning up Beijing sky probably in 20 years, 30 years, something like that. And to accelerate that, they have to overcome the kind of resistance and, from the other side. And this basically. is an issue in which public opinion has to an extent been welcomed. It hasn't been shut down as, as forcefully. It hasn't it been shut down. well. Yeah, right? completely. Yeah. Because I think in certain areas, the government does need the backing or the cover of public opinion to push forward some of the, its initiatives, especially mm. if you want to uh, push Hebei to shut down a large part of it, its industrial base, then you, you probably need some backing from the public opinion, pointing out the, the discontent citizens from Beijing saying that I couldn't have this public accusing me all the time, right? You ha I have to do something. So I think they, they do need some ally, uh, allies uh, in, in the civil society to push forward some of the agenda items, uh, especially the green agenda items. But so on the other tie hand, this back to the Jiaosi. I mean, they, yeah. in 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 international politics, they, they often have to do the same thing. They want to use the sort of force of public opinion to back them on things like Nanshan Qindao and the Nanhai issue, on you know the the Diaoyu Senkaku issue, right? Sort of whip it up whenever they they want to uh, mobilize it instrumentally, right? But I think that's slightly different okay. because I, I really I'm not sure how seriously the, the Chinese public is really concerned with those islands. Whereas, I think that the intensity... The organic the reality. Yeah, the organic right, reality right. and mm. the authenticity of concern I, right, on, right. for example, air mm. is... I, I think it's just much more potent. It's unavoidable. Yeah, yeah I think... It's also one where the public and the leaders have exactly the same problems. I mean, yeah. if you live in Beijing, no matter whether you're in Zhongnanhai or in some shitty apartment outside the Sixth String Road, you breathe the same air, 
Right. Exactly. Well, uh, let's turn to, like, I'd like to ask about another subject, uh, uh, another post you wrote about called Das Evil Kapital, which I found mm. quite interesting, where you look at the, uh, a fight going on with one of the most successful real estate companies, the Wanka Group, or <laughs> Wanka. <laughs> I mean, in English, it's V-A-N-K-E, but in Chinese, it's Wanka, which is, in pinyin is kind of like Wanka. But uh, Wang Shi is the founder, a very charismatic guy, climbs mountains and um again let me like just put a little quote there i mean you're talking about how uh this guy who has been a hero and still is in many it's ways in the absolutely. in the chinese media and you write no matter who emerges in the end as the winner of this bid for the control of china's largest home developer and this is Wang Ke, the loser is already visible it's the idea of philosopher king capitalists as the progressive force to change china that was the one Drama has revealed the fragility of the public image that Wang Shi and an entire class of so-called progressive Chinese capitalists have built for themselves. Mm. Um, can you talk a little bit about this? Because, I mean, this is very interesting. And I think in some ways in, in, in real estate industries where you've seen it the most, where you have these charismatic and very popular figures, you know, Ren Zhe Chang is yeah. another one, and Pan Shi and his wife Zhang Xin. Tech like uh, yeah, tech two. I mean, he's, yeah, he's absolutely. Not national, but, but, but absolutely. Technology. I mean, your boss, Robin Lee. Uh, you well, know, Ali uh, Alibaba's Jack Ma. Um, but you know. I mean, my, my boss isn't tweeting. Uh, I mean, he isn't on, on no. Weibo and stuff. But, but but they they are seen as as, as people who uh, are philosophers, king capitalists, right? Li yeah, Kai so Fu, I yeah. think in in China, at least in the past few years, I think uh, there are groups of business tycoons, basically, but they are seen as more enlightened. Yeah. Um, people like Wang Shi, people like Pan Shiyi, um, they are also quite aligned with the, the sort of the liberal kind of values and, uh, and agenda, and they're pushing forward. Like Pan Shiyi is also someone who actually make air pollution top on the national agenda, right, as has a kind of an environmentalist kind of uh, uh, messaging in, in, in his communications. Um, so I think, there, as you said, billionaires breathe the same air. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there are, I think, some expectations from part of the Chinese society that they could be the, the sort of the change, the change agent that China needs because they they also have the material, right? They have the money. And they have the standing. To, yeah, and the standing and the, the sort of the the moral leadership they could provide to to lead the country to a, a slightly different direction. But I think what I, what I am personally surprised is looking at. The response to this uh, this bank uh, uh, takeover is the, the, the kind of hostility towards Wang Shi himself, and the kind of doubts people have really in his comments about his adversary, uh, and and really how thin actually his uh, political capital really is, especially mm. with the the public, and it's it's a, I think for me it's a quite stark contrast of the public image that I have I had uh, about Wang Shi. Because among his peers, actually, Wang Shi is the one probably with the best public image so far. And for that public image to be tested in such a way and be challenged and be sneered uh, in such a way, I think it, for me at least, is a pretty unexpected turnout. Hmm. And don't don't you think, though, that some of it isn't just kind of schadenfreude of somebody who's, you know extremely successful in a society where most people are, you know, if not struggling, at least it's not that easy. 
I mean, I have to confess even myself to a certain feeling of schadenfreude about Renja Chang because I'm like, well, you know, you've been like this big and kind of arrogant voice on 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 the public scene, you know, saying things like, you know, poor people kind of deserve to be poor because they were too stupid to buy real estate, you know, 15 years ago when it was cheap, which I feel Trump. myself that I was <laughs> kind of too stupid to buy real estate 15 years ago when it was cheap. But, I mean, isn't that a very natural that's, reaction that's to... You were also to the, too poor. But I was also too poor. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, uh, the downfall of somebody successful, it, doesn't that always cheer the common people to a certain extent you're like ah actually he's just like us yeah i think there is definitely an element to that uh and i think that the culture mm. kind of pl- play it into t- uh, it a little bit because i think the 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 prominence of the culture actually makes those who act like they're they're nobler um they're like holier than thou kind of pers- personalities more vulnerable uh, people tend to see them as more like pretentious. Mm. So I think nowadays many celebrities on social network, uh, on, on different platforms, also try to drag them themselves down a little bit closer to the Diao Si to, 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 make, them se- to make themselves more relatable right. to them. I right? mean, the, that's the, so, the recent popularity of the phrase Jie Di Qi. Jie Di Qi, yes. So I, mean, I think everyone wants to be Jie Di Qi. And it's like... And I think <laughs> Wang Shi is probably a, a person that doesn't really adapt to that, and he mm. he still act quite aloof right. in his speeches. Um, he he doesn't make like Jiechi uh, jokes uh, with his fans and things like that. So this is a generational shift, then. Maybe, maybe I think the 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 younger generation is more accustomed to a more Daoist kind of self-deconstructed kind of culture mm. and they expect that the public figures uh, be relatable to that kind of culture. If they don't, then there, there's, there's a backlash against them. Yeah. What are some of the other uh, stories that you, you, you've been playing with that you, we might expect to see in coming months? Some of the, the other interesting uh, uh, subject areas that you've been looking at that you, you might be itching to write on? I don't plan that long. I, I really, it's an intuitive thing. <laughs> Are you taking uh, requests? <laughs> the good thing about keeping a personal blog is I don't have a deadline to yeah. meet. So I, if I see something interesting and there are enough conversation that I could get a grasp on and I, I could have, have something to play with and cook with, then I, I would write something about that. If not, even if it's a very important story, maybe to the media or something, then probably I, I, I wouldn't because I... Yeah, see, that seems to be a deliberate, uh, a, 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 an approach that you use, which I think is interesting, is because almost none of the stories that you write on are things that the ma- mainstream English media has actually caught wind of and, and made into a story. So do you deliberately select stories that you think the US media has, or the, the, the English language media has kind of missed? No. You no, don't do I, I don't do that. Uh, like the parade was pretty big. Yeah, I think but 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 your take on the parade? I mean, who was writing about it from the perspective of the historical nihilism debate? Nobody well, else was. Yeah, maybe but I not think not then, in English. Maybe that's in sort of a reflection of the the different nature of conversation that is going on within mm. China. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is, is what's what what is a frustrating thing to a lot of us here is we talk about these issues and I feel like we're having these conversations that are in parallel to and never quite intersecting with similar but quite different conversations that are happening among our Chinese friends and colleagues and family members, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, you're, you're, what you're doing is it's a different kind of bridging. I mean, you're actually saying, okay, so 
this conversation that you're having over here is it, it seems to have very little to do with con- the conversation on what is ostensibly the same topic that's actually ha- happening among ordinary Chinese people. That's, I think, a, a very valuable service. Thank you. Well, I mean, I think one of the um, purposes of of Seneca, right, is to try and help fill in some of these gaps. Yeah, but we don't do. I mean, I think one thing that we can do is just have you on the show more often. <laughs> really, no, seriously. I mean, to, to, I, I, you don't know how hard it is to find, uh, you know, really, really kind of. Uh, articulate English-speaking guests who are still who are who are really watching the the news in China because if their English is is that good, generally you're working at a fucking investment bank or, or doing something. Like you don't want to come on a podcast or and a, talk about or a, a tech company, right? Or a tech company. Right. <laughs> anyway, but I'm I'm very grateful and, and and I hope that you'll you'll be joining us more often in the future. I'm I'll be happy to. I I, I live just one block away. Ada, let's you know. As you're the newcomer to the show, let's sure. start off with with recommendations with from you. Okay, so I have I have a, a recommendation that has no, nothing to do with China, but in a way, maybe a little elliptically, can reference some of the gaps. Also, that, that that even in the United States, we have gaps between what the pundits observe about phenomenon happening within a subculture and how maybe that subculture observes itself. So my reference is a. Video. It was a selfie video that was posted by Charles M. Blow, who is an op-ed columnist for the New York Times. And he's talking about the way that um, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders are perceived in the South based on their civil rights um, activities and the difference between working on segregation issues in the North versus working on the question of white academies, which were basically it was an end run around uh, desegregation laws mm-hmm. where where literally they created these white private academies so and they took out all the white kids all the white teachers and all the materials including the books and this is what was happening and it was all supported with um state money at the time and hillary clinton actually went in and and helped to expose this and that this kind of thing helps to explain the you know the voting patterns of 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 African Americans in the South more so than some of the external observations that have been placed on it by other pundits. So that's my recommendation. You can find it from his Facebook page. Charles Blow. Charles M. Blow, and it would it will have posted uh, March first. It was today. Okay, awesome. Uh, should we? Go I'm to you, ready. Jeremy. Yeah. Well, you, sure. You, you, you know yeah. this. Uh, we're shortly going to experience the 50th anniversary of the start of the Great Proletarian Cultural Revolution, and I'd just like to re- recommend the film uh, Morning Sun. And oh, that, fantastic! Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, it's it's not that easy mm. to actually watch the film, but there's uh, MorningSun.org is a website that is really excellent. Has a lot of you know bits from the film, audiovisual materials. Uh, all about the Cultural Revolution. Uh, th- this film was made by Kramer Hinton and, and Jeremy Barme, and it's actually kind of like a prequel to the film they did about uh, 1989, uh, Tiananmen, right. and explores... The Gate of Heavenly Peace. The, the Gate of Heavenly right. Peace, yeah, uh, which it explores actually in many ways the same kind of themes, and they are two films that one should watch together, uh, ideally. But the, if you don't have access to the film, morningsun.org. It's a great recommendation. I have a uh, film recommendation too, but I wanna I wanna let Matienda go first. Okay, I have a very light recommendation. It's a comic book. I don't know if you have uh, read it. It's a comic book uh, 
by a Canadian uh, from Quebec, I think. He he, it's a book called Shenzhen, a travelogue oh. from China. It's a hilarious book. Uh, this guy was sent by a French company to supervise a animation they are making that that they outsource to a Shenzhen workshop, and it happens it happened in 1997, right before the Hong Kong reversion to mm. China. Uh-huh. So he spent like. A year in Shenzhen, and he he's a, like a comic book writer. So he he draws a comic book about his ex- experience in Shenzhen in nineteen ninety. Is it in English or in French? It's in English. Oh great! So it's a uh, it's just hilarious. Can you wow. get it on Kindle? Do you know, or is it? Uh, I don't know. I got it in Belgium. Okay, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> this, this one may be hard to get, but let's store. Okay. But it's you. I think you can find it. Uh, it's published in English. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This guy also again? did. It's called Shenzhen, a travelogue、okay. from China. Okay. This guy also did、uh, one book on North Korea. He、uh, somehow、oh, he right, was right. Yeah, I've read the North Korean <laughs> one. It's really, really funny.、Yes. Yeah, and excellent. Not yeah, and not so funny in some ways, but really excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he 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 did the same thing in in Pyongyang, right? He was working. Yeah, in at, Pyongyang. Yeah.、Uh, I, like they would they were outsourcing animation work yeah, to a, a weird, North Korean company. Yeah. Very weird experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good news. Shenzhen, a travelogue from China by Guy Delisle. Yeah, I Delisle and Helga Dasher, and it is available. And、yeah. the one about Pyongyang, because I've been there, is you know the scenes in the Yangdao Hotel, the <laughs> Yangdaodao Hotel, with the the turtles and the, the the aquarium at the bottom. Which if you've been there, you'll recognize. And I mean, it's very、um, lifelike. You know, he. The, the way he draws is a, a very good, <laughs> accurate depiction of the way things actually look like. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> he drew、one. shit、uh, from a Shenzhen toilet,、uh, <laughs> and he, the description of the shit is really、um, hilarious <laughs> <Yeah> . because <laughs> it's different from Quebecois shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm I'm looking at some of it from、uh, on on Amazon right now, and the guy, yeah, he has some some significant artistic talent. My recommendation,、uh, we done here,、uh, is, uh, is 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 a little short film called 特殊教育教育 I don't know if you've seen this. It's it's a 22 minute long.、Um, it, it means you know 特殊 means sort of a special 教育 is exchange a special kind of deal.、Uh, and sounds it, very dodgy. It looks dodgy at first. I mean, the the opening scene shows a a woman who's clearly a prostitute、uh, with a pretty heavy Dongbei accent,、uh, apparently negotiating with a customer who you know who's off camera and handing her more money and saying, you know, I don't go home with anyone for this amount. Of, I would not do it for that amount of money. And a few more bills are added, and finally she goes, and then we see that it's a small child, a, a third grade、uh, boy who is asking her to come to. Uh, his、uh, parent parent teacher day at school and pretend to be his mother,、mm. and it is hilarious and utterly heartbreaking. And I challenge you to watch、mm. this without crying. Fantastic! It, it is just so well shot, so well done. It's it, it、uh, it's maudlin. It's very deliberately tear jerking, but. Uh, it, it, the apparently my wife, who who is very deeply in the film, says that that the editor and、uh, people are they're all very very well known people, but there's it's all nobody actors.、Mm. Uh, very effective use of twenty two minutes, and the child actor in it is just unbelievably good, unbelievably good. So twenty two minutes of your time. If you follow me on Facebook, I I linked to it recently. Otherwise, I, I I'll make sure to put it on on our podcast page. So, Matienzia, thank you so much for coming in, and we well, will you see you、me. again soon. And、uh, I want to say hi to Matt Sheehan, and and actually a bye to Matt Sheehan. He's he's been sitting here in the studio saying, "Say hello, Matt." 
Hey, what's up, Seneca? <laughs> <laughs> he, he is here. Uh, he's actually taken off to go back to the States, actually, in just a, a matter of days now, huh? But we will we will be hearing from you soon. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I forgot to turn off my phone. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Take it home. All right. Take it home. Enough Take waffling. it home. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> goodbye. And we'll see you next week on the Seneca Podcast. Take care, folks. Bye. <laughs>